0: And good morning and welcome to episode 93 of the Cood Street Podcast. Normally we'd do some kind of formal sort of introduction and mess about, but really, we're just here amongst friends, two of whom are in Chicago, and one in Perth. Good morning, Peter Straub.
1: Well, good morning to you. It's not exactly morning here, but I, I, I'll give you everything
2: you want. <laughs> and good morning, Gary Wolf. And good evening, Jonathan, we're having a very strange summer-like... I know you're going from summer into fall, where you are. We are. Uh, we've are. we been extremely warm and humid, and if you hear things in the background while you're talking, Peter is in my apartment in Chicago now, and we're having apparently thunderstorms. Or at least we're having, we're having very loud thunder with no apparent clouds in the sky at all. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, yes, we'll see. Here in Perth, weather t- tends to break into two, three categories. You get Appalling, excoriatingly hot weather, Uh which is just about finished. You Uh get cool, wet weather, which lasts for a short period. And then you get Uh idyllic days where the sky is endlessly blue. The the weather is just cool and pleasant. And you get about Uh six months a year of that. And we're just about to go back into that as as we segue through winter, because our fall and our spring are almost identical. So, um... Uh Uh-huh. It's about nice. to get pleasant. It has been fairly horrible. Like Last weekend, we had three days in a row over 105. Oh. Yeah.
1: Ugh. <laughs> that's like that's like Texas or something. That's
0: hot. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the weather here is probably most like uh, Sacramento. I don't know if you've ever been there, but not that no. pleasant, really. And, yeah, you know, they keep no. saying, assuming that everybody talking about cli- climate change is correct, uh, yeah. Our climate is the one that's getting all of you know all those horrible effects that they project. We're getting first, yeah. mm-hmm. just just to see how they work <laughs> out, and then we'll let you all know how it's going. And right now, it's supposed to be hard. Look, it's an interesting time in the world. I it is.
2: I should mention that Peter is in town because he and I and a lot of other interesting people tomorrow are going out to the um, Chicago Literary Hall of Fame. Uh, Honoring Gene Wolfe with the first Henry Blake Fuller Award for lifetime achievement in fiction by a Chicago writer. Although he's not actually a Chicago writer, he lives in Barrington, which is Mm -hmm. 45 miles away. Um, We claim him. Yeah. And and I hear that. So it's a very
1: good occasion, really. I mean, it's it's um, it's terrific to be able to honor Gene Wolfe, who's had this splendid uh, career in one way and. Uh, publicly, I would say almost an invisible career. Um, it's 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 strange. He's a you know to to be to be so widely known and revered in in, in one place and um, not at all known
0: uh, outside of it. It it is strange, particularly since he com- he combines what I would say the spirit of a pulp writer with the. You know, the, the skills of a true artist and craftsman. And you'd think That's that, right. that, that that would somehow communicate. But it's almost like he got the inverse of what Michael Chabin got. You know, Michael <laughs> Chabon is interested in being a pop writer, but seems to write more, I don't know, more accessibly. I don't know what it is for a broader yeah. audience. Where Gene yeah. writes in one particular space and is brilliant, but tends to sort of be obsessively appreciated by a small group of people. And then... yeah. Mm-hmm. Look, even with our own within our own field, he. Yeah, I remember years ago when I would go into bookstores and I'd talk to people about um, Umberto Eco, and they'd talk about The Name of the Roses, a book that was more bought and taken to the beach than read at the beach. And in our mm-hmm. field, it's like Gene Wolfe is more.
2: When people are aware of him, they're aware of honoring him, but not reading him. Yeah, that's right. Which I think is one of the Peter. Peter and I were talking earlier this evening about how uh, even. Most, I would say, the vast majority of people who know Jean's work at all know the Book of the New Sun, the Book of the Long Sun, uh-huh. the Book of the Short Sun. And, and Peter was pointing out something which I think is absolutely true: that in the last five or six novels, when Jean has reached, well, let's face it, his maturity. Somebody writing these novels in the seventies and in, in, in his seventies, yeah, writing novels. So a novel th- this is his last period. Right, but his yeah. sentences, one sentence after another, are just absolutely perfect. These crystalline, transparent.
1: Uh, graceful sentences. Oh, it's, it's stunning to me. I mean, there, there's so much clarity there. Uh, and maybe because he's Gene Wolf, it's a very deceptive clarity. But still, as you, as you go along through through the books, there's just this beautiful, beautiful uh, style
0: that, that um, seduces you. I think that's true. I'm, I'm in awe, really. <laughs> I think that what doesn't always get communicated, though, and I noticed it when I was reading... An Evil Guest, which is one of the recent novels, mm-hmm. is that they're also a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. the, the, when we talk about how he writes you know, beautifully and how they're, they're clear and simple, but there are all these other levels, I know people mm-hmm. who get put off. They, 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 they become almost afraid of it, like, you know, I'm not going to be smart enough to decrypt the clever and technical stuff that Gene Wolfe is doing in his work. But yeah. Wolfe is skilled enough and gifted enough at what he does, that it works completely, and it is—if you read it literally as it just sits there—it's already a completely satisfying sort of work. Yeah, you know? Well, in
1: in all honesty, that's probably the way I do read them, mm. and 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 they are very satisfying, and as you say, um, fun be, be, because he's always doing something unexpected and sort of wildly uh, unexpected. Mm somebody that uh, bolts from the blue and if there's a knock on the door you have no idea
2: who might be there I think that's true I think one of the things that uh, I, I think in some ways and I, I, I admire the um, the 12 was it 12 volumes of the book of The New Sun The Short Sun The Earth of the New mm-hmm. Sun The Long Sun mm. as much as I admire those I find what he's been doing since that more interesting because he's playing with genres he's writing something like an evil guest mm-hmm. um, He's writing a pirate novel. He's, with Home Fires, writing another science fiction novel. And in each case, doing it in a style, uh, in, in format, which he hadn't done 30 years earlier, because he certainly began with a sci- with science fiction yeah. but like nobody else is doing either. Um, and as, as Peter said, sentence by sentence, Home Fires, which is his, I believe, most recent novel. There it is. It hasn't been announced this year, is... It's just full of beautiful sentences that you just want to read aloud.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's dazzling to me. The, the the last book I read by Gene was The Sorcerer's House. Yeah, which is is in in one way is kind of Mad Marx Brothers Farago, <laughs> of, well, all these crazy events piling up, but but um, is is written in that crystalline way, and I I know from dire experience that it's hard to write that way. Mm-hmm. It's 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 hard, it's hard to get rid of all the fuzz, yeah, and and and, and all the things you think are appealing and beautiful, um, to, to to come down to that level of clarity, yeah. And I have the feeling that for Gene now it's not difficult. That, that that's the way um his uh, inner machinery works, yeah. Which is you know amounts to a, a state of grace. Yes. I would say.
0: Well. Yeah. Yeah. You do sort of feel, or I, I sort of feel, like he's attained the same sort of status within our field of someone like an Akira Kurosawa, you know, late in his career, totally mm-hmm. mastered yeah. craft. Yeah. Uh, any, of, you know, the late works. I mean, the only thing that is interesting, I think, is you get to, you have a similar kind of effect when it comes to the late works as well. I mean, with Kurosawa, people people were always a little bit reticent to criticize them criticize them because they weren't sure they understood them properly. Yeah. And I see people being a little bit wary of, of Wolf. The thing with the Wolf stuff is it really is that simple and accessible. I mean, one thing that gave it away to me is I read a story of his that was in a just a junky little anthology um, called Mars Probes. And he wrote a story oh. called Shields of Mars, which is about the, the, these guys sword fight, fighting on Mars. And that's where I... I it's, you, you read it and it's this delightful, simple pulp adventure story. And I thought, huh. that is Wolf laid bare to me. Mm -hmm. Because it is that pure pulp story. There is a lot laid over it, but you could have published that story in a pulp magazine in the 1940s, and the adventure level would have paid off completely. Everybody would have been satisfied. (coughs) Uh Whether they would have appreciated the the additional complexity or not, I I wouldn't
2: care to comment, but it would be remarkable. Well, one of the things that I think this implies, and it's something I wanted to get into when we were talking, Peter and I again were chatting about this earlier, mm. is that there's a very specific talent involved in writing stories, genre stories of whatever kind, science fiction, fantasy, horror, probably westerns, probably mysteries and, and spy stories. And yeah, romance, too. And probably. romance, <laughs> which, which works completely on the surface level, uh. the way the um, uh, the genre reader wants it to work, mm. but at the same time embeds uh Subterranean layers, um, and I think one of the things that sometimes happens when you get you get um, I know I know some of James readers I could name some of them mm-hmm. who, are, who are this way I know some of Peter's readers who are this way <laughs> who are so enthusiastic about finding the subtext that they scare other readers away. Yeah, they they essentially say, well, if you don't get this, if you don't understand this, if you don't understand it, uh, that, 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 that there's a Melville subtext here. Uh, then you're not reading it. And, and some readers are thinking, I just want a story. Yeah. And yeah. The, the, the writers we're talking about now are writers who will deliver a story which will be completely satisfactory for the readers who want the story, mm-hmm. but at the same time, satisfactory for the readers who want the sort of multi-layered dimensions of character and style and, I don't know, existentialist insight. Mm. But,
1: yeah, that's interesting. Um there there are some writers like um uh William Gass or John Barth uh, Jonathan Baumbach, um who's uh, who uh John John Hawkes for 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 a lot of his career who uh, who who deliberately tried to make their books difficult to read just on the s- surface level they uh, part of their uh, aesthetic was to make very long, difficult novels that the ordinary reader wouldn't have any interest in, but would appeal intensely to uh the you know the, the the kind of people who were looking for something like that uh, We have today any number of people who read every word of infinite jest and also every word of the pale king uh-huh. and these are the same kind of
2: people. <laughs> Um, People 30 years ago were reading William Gaddis's The Recognitions. Yeah, exactly. Now there's a great novel. It, is, it is a great novel. But it's, not it's not easy. No, it's not
1: easy. But uh, what we're talking about, it strikes me, is actually the reverse. Mm. Um, that where if we're if we're if we're um, constructing yeah. difficulties or put, putting them in place, it's sort of out of sight. Uh, if to the extent I've done this kind of thing, I I never thought of a, Thought of what I was doing is um, creating hidden obstacles that the reader would uh, that the attentive reader would have to climb up over and uh, yeah. solve because um, I saw everything as much more integral I haven't a clue about the way gene wolfe might might see the 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 work of his present period and he he may when he finishes one of these limpid masterpieces. Um, sit back in his chair and 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 rub his hands together, saying, "Well, I really got him this time." <laughs> I don't
2: know. <laughs> but you've done unreliable narrators yourself. Yeah, I have.
1: I have. Oh, completely. That's right.
2: And you get feel, feedback from writers. Well, you yeah. just don't get.
1: You got me, Gary. That's right. Uh, in that case, I did the. Uh, I I I did want things to be read both ways, and uh, ideally for both. Points of view to be held uh, simultaneously in the reader 's mind um, there are, but there are there are plenty of readers who don 't want to work at all uh, who who just want want to be fed something um, familiar and comforting. Uh-huh. and and you know i read, uh, I read Treasure Island not all that long ago out loud. Mm-hmm. Huh. And every now and then I cried at the beauty of the writing, but mainly I was I thought what an exciting book this is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and it's it is a masterpiece, and um, boy oh boy, I wish I could write a book like that. You know, I uh, I, I know if I tried I'd do my best to screw it up. Because that is my uh, own personal
2: uh, artistic method. This is a, is a kind of a parenthesis to that. I was reading, I was, I was preparing my act to do this introduction for this Gene Wolfe event tomorrow. Mm. So I was looking at some interviews, and one of the things that he was asking in interviews if you just had all the time in the world, what would you read? And he mm. said, I would read more Robert Louis Stevenson because I haven't read enough.
1: Oh, that's amazing.
2: <laughs> it's great.
1: I mean, Henry James loves Stevenson, and uh, he was nothing if not uh subtly discriminating but he he really he, if i mean what i'm saying is if 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 it's good enough for henry james it's really good enough for me <laughs> and for and, and it's 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 great to know that, um gene feels
2: the same way That's gene it, and, uh, we could we i mean i know gene is very fond of gk chesterton he was very fond of uh stevenson obviously there are a few other writers he's very fond of uh. And I know you're very fond of Raymond Chandler, for example. Oh, I love Raymond Chandler. And it's yeah. again, it's the same kind of thing where there's this layers of of, of sort of philosophical worldviews underneath a narrative, which on the surface works as a completely thrilling yeah, detective
1: story. Uh, that's quite right. The
2: mysteries. The thing about Chandler, well, not always in Chandler, but the mysteries usually more or less worked out.
1: Yeah. Um, and some sometimes in the kind of behind the way, uh, don't don't don't, don't uh, watch what my hands are doing now, please. Right, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> look, look look over here while I solve this plot problem
2: for you. Mm. But I, I guess what I'm concerned, I guess what this leads to a little bit, yeah, is um, when you're writing. This multi-layered, sophisticated fiction in any genre—whether you're writing science fiction or fantasy, which Gene hints to do, although he's, or you're writing what looks to be horror. When I say what looks to be horror, what is it you're doing, Peter? Mm. Is do you end up with readers who, still, no matter what you write, are trying to find the floating dragon in it, or they're trying to find ghost story in it? Yeah, I uh,
1: I do. I do, and 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 those readers are very uh, valuable to me and um, um, much loved, um, and, and, and I hope there's always something there for them. Um, the, where, where I tend to go wrong with readers like that is if they are the kind of people who always want some equivalent of a Stephen King novel. Mm, that, yeah. that is something that really does begin delivering the goods right away and doesn't mess around, mm. uh, d- doesn't, doesn't take digressions. Me, I will take any digression I can think of, because 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 that's part of my point. Um, and those people can't stand me anymore. Um, what I'm looking for, really, and it's almost n- not not capable of being found, are people who who don't have any prejudices, who don't have their minds made up beforehand, and who will s- simply read a book and, and and take it as a work of fiction. And think of it in that way. I I made one great stride forward with uh, Joyce Carol Oates, who sometimes, when whom I've met over and over again, and of whom I'm very fond, and whose work I, of course, like an enormous amount. Hmm. Um, And she has sometimes alluded to me in uh, in print and in person at big gatherings, and it was always. her descriptions of me always put me very firmly, if affectionately, in, in, into a generic camp, mm. a genre camp, I should say. Really, and and but just lately, she she sent me a book that she'd written in which she refers to me as the experimental writer Peter Straub. Hmm. What made the difference? Yeah. <laughs> now I don't think myself as an experimental writer at all. But I but I can see how someone might take me that way. Yes. For for me though, the great the real frustration and some extent unhappiness lies in the, the my growing understanding that the adamantine, um, unbreachable wall between literature and genre writing is uh, is. Is in place and and with many many people um, cannot be breached. Uh, they they automatically think um, in 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 categories, and one side is is good and serious, and the other might be good but is uh, is frivolous and and not really worthy of serious consideration. I, I used to think that I'd, I'd be able to. Uh, Knock that wall down in some way, but um, the, as I go on i I see it's not possible S- Steve king has done uh, has done it as about as well as it could be done in in the only way it's allowed, which is to have somebody say, "Okay, of all these people, this is the best one, and what he does isn't isn 't like that genre stuff anyhow it 's really about profound human concerns. yeah, so he is a serious novelist who's been masquerading all along. God. As as a a, a knuckle dragger, <laughs> <You know? laughs> which is the way he was treated at the beginning. Yeah, he was. Um,
0: so he's is, a serious reader's it? knuckle dragger, is he? <laughs> <laughs> Not that's, anymore. I think we
2: should put that on the spine. <laughs> <ball this version laughs>
0: oh, that's right. condescending and unpleasant. Well, he ain't, he ain't a knuckle dragger, I assure you. Yeah. Oh, I. You know that. <laughs> I absolutely know that. Uh-huh. But um. Do do you ever sort of obviously it's a a very real thing to you this barrier that it can't be broken through? But every now and again, I wonder sort of how important it is. Um, You know, I look and I think, isn't it enough that the books get done and they're as good as they are? And you know, who loses out when I don't know? You know, the literati don't particularly embrace a work. Is it their loss or is it our loss? Uh, that's a great question. i
1: I really would think that the the, the loss goes both ways, though I, I want to be careful in how I think about that and how, 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 how I describe it. Um, there is a, a a system of um, judgment and a, oh. a, a cast of thought in the, in, in the science fiction world. That, that automatically erects fences around itself. Yeah, I think so. I agree. And and so it's 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 very well defended, and it's, it leads to the worst kind of um, uh, patrician huh. uh, Mandarin thinking. It's just it's just it's a mistake from the beginning to the end. At least horror writers could never do that. Yeah, I, with, mm. with, with with science fiction, there always was the uh, an intellectual component. That horror writing had no interest in, uh, but which which uh, permitted science fiction people to see themselves as a part in a in a, in a good if not generally acknowledged way. Yeah. And of late, I mean, in the past ten years, what ha- what's happened to science fiction writing is so spectacular, and um, it's, it's such a, a an astonishing evolution that. Um, one 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 would be justified in 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 thinking that it's a superior form mm. of of writing, but of course, it it is just more mainstream. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. In uh, I'm talking about Neil Stevenson about about William Gibson uh-huh. about James Morrow. You know these these works which are are breathtakingly comprehensive. Um, and inclusive. Well,
2: uh-huh. I think you're, I, th- I think part of what you're implying is that people still tend to read within their own little camps. Yeah. Science fiction people still tend to look at things in terms of how close it is to science fiction, fantasy readers. Um, I mean, one example here, I can think of two examples here. Uh, one is you, di- you did two novels with, with, with Steve King, yeah. The Talisman and, and Black House. Which are by any ste- but by, by the interior content of those novels, epic right. fantasies. Yeah. They are other world fantasies. They take place in these lands that are yeah. um, sure. not like ours. And yet they were received and still are received as horror novels, yeah. not by <laughs> fantasy readers, but no. by horror readers who are yeah. getting their version of it. And by fantasy. the world in general.
1: By, yeah. by 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 the reviewers and critics who uh, talked about
2: them. And mm-hmm. now you've got a novel oh, out, which we should, we should offer your congr- our congratulations. Yes. Also for an, another Stoker nomination. Oh for, boy! For, for, the, for the ballad of Ballard and Sandrine. Yeah. Which, if somebody reads it openly, seems to have it seems to be a horror story. It seems to be a kind of Kafka esque surrealist story. Yeah. Or a Paul Bowles story. Hmm. You could read it. Yeah. Uh, and and yet, by and large, I suspect people are seeing it as a horror story. I, well, they, there's every reason to
1: see that um, oh, yeah. it did appear in conjunctions, which, uh, as a matter of contextualization, kind of changes the color a little bit. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, it has my name on it, which uh, uh, nails it pretty firmly in a in the kind of camp uh, uh, Gary described. Huh. But but I wasn't saying to myself, "Oh, now I want to write a really good horror story." I, I said to myself, I, I want to write something, oh, kind of disturbing that takes place on a yacht between two people who use knives on each other. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's, that's just the way I think. <laughs> I, I don't think, oh, the, the horror fans are going to lap this up. And in fact, probably they, they don't lap it up.
2: You don't go anywhere close to where horror fans. No, it's not anywhere close to where splatterpunk fans. No, No, not at all.
1: If I, I I first thought of this idea in the mid '80s, and if I had written it then, it would be, it Mm. would have been much more explicit and um, uh, savage. I'm very pleased with the way it turned out, and I'm, I'm very pleased with the thing as a whole. And I think if um, uh, readers of uh, Lethem and Shaven were to read that story many of them would like it, but there yeah. is a matter which is my own personal uh, brand that that it goes a little farther than some people want to experience um this yeah. is I mean this is simply what I do I think um not 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 always but Often enough, so I think it's a, it's a trademark, and and, and it just some uh, Hemingway couldn't stop writing about bullfights, and I can't stop writing <laughs> about situations in which people are tested very severely. Um, is it the way it just turn- case,
0: Yeah. Is it the way it just turns out, or is it uh, something that at some level you consciously do? It's it's not all that conscious,
1: I assure you. I I I I knew I wanted to write about torture on a yacht on the Amazon and uh then the, the dialogue appeared to me and I saw the way that I could have a lot of fun with it. Uh and as things things marched on I just I just worked the way I work. If mm. it's something um surreal or uh, grotesque. Um, or vividly disturbing, uh, came to mind. I I hastened to prepare the ground so I could uh, so so I could get to it quickly uh-huh. uh, because that is the kind of thing that excites me when when, when I'm writing and makes me. Um, A happy man at the end of the day and leads to pleasant (laughs) sleep, you know, and a a good and a a sunny personality.
2: (laughs) How how many readers have you heard from that said, "How can you possibly sleep after writing? How can you be so cheerful?" Yeah,
1: it's really strange. (laughs) Anyhow, this is—I'm stuck with this, and and this is my thing. Um, And I don't—I don't think it's. uh, I mean, it might—you might as well call it horror. Uh, and I, I believe me, I, I have no problems with that. But I think it also is uh, example 200 in the list of things that demonstrate that horror as a genre only barely exists a little bit anymore. That that, that as far as a category, it's, uh, it's it cannot be narrowly defined, and if you do define it narrowly, you're, you're missing the point. Uh, I may this may be monstrous egotism on my part. Mm-hmm. Now tell me it's not, Jonathan, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no.
0: <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs>
2: well, you've been on a project of redefining horror from that famous Conjunctions um, issue several years ago, in the anthology yeah. uh, yeah. Post Children, which was subtitled The New Horror. Yeah. So you've been making this argument that horror is... More than we thought it was. I mean, you even have am I right? Ellen Klages uh, uh, after the American, yeah. but there was an Ellen Klages story in there. There was Children. the Green Glass Sea. The Green Glass Sea, really good. Which is now kind of uh, almost a kind of becoming a classic of, of young adult literature about the you know building of the atomic bomb. Oh, wonderful! And you put that uh, the original short story, which gave rise to her novel, which is the one that's uh, now successful.
1: What's more, of that story it was on the web. It wasn't even printed.
2: Oh, really? Okay, yeah. so you, you you put that in as a, as an example of the new horror. And the first thing that I'm I'm sure you must have seen this in the reviews. People are saying, "Why is this a horror story?"
1: Oh, really? Well, any story that incorporates um, uh, radiation poisoning is pretty horrific. Yeah, I think. And and, and uh, the Ellen Clage's story did that so subtly um, and uh, you know handsomely. I I'm, I I was really persuaded. I don't know. I mean that's a that's an example of me trying to make the point that I I'm afraid I've made tiresome. Um, the 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 signal signs of hope for, for me and then the, 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 the things that mean the cause may not be really lost are, are the cases of individual writers mm-hmm. perhaps Michael Chabon but for sure <clears throat> Dan Sean who is um, celebrated as a wonderful literary writer which is what he is mm-hmm. but he's also profoundly a writer of horror stories mm-hmm. uh, It's 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 he grew up with it. It's, yeah. I mean, he, he grew up reading it, and he grew up with it in a, in a biographical sense, in some way that he's never described, but which uh, could be speculated about. I'm, I'm not going to do it now, but it has to do with adoption. Um, there's, a, there's a kind of a yearning and a tropism toward violence, which to me says um, horror, maybe with a capital H, but but needn't. Um, I I I just don't want the word to be excluded in these cases besides uh, Dan Sean, who is one of my favorite writers, is Brian Evanson, mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh, a literary writer. He's the director of the writing program at Brown, and he writes the bleakest, uh, mo- uh, most hopeless uh, tales of extremity and violence. Um, the t- take place a lot of them take place in a in a, in a, a dystopian post-apocalyptic landscape with extremely damaged human beings <laughs> doing terrible things to one another. Um, he wrote he he wrote a great novel called The Open Curtain, which I recommend to you, Jonathan. If yeah. you haven't read, it. no, I've not. It's re- it's a spectacular book, and it involves um, Mormons and a son, I believe. Of um her grandson of who's the mormon Smith? the the one, the brigham young brigham young yeah. uh who was involved in a famous murder yeah. in 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 chicago mm-hmm. uh, Brian evanson was raised a mormon though a, a kind of reluctant one and uh his um, his his relationship with the church was uh, uh long drawn out and increasingly painful and that history Shows up in a lot of his work. He's also, as is Dan Sean and the <clears throat> readers I'm trying to get get to, very open-minded and generous. Uh, Brian Emerson is one of the loveliest people you'll ever meet, and um, uh, so he's he's ready. He's ripe. He's he's he's, he's he hasn't raised this uh, uh, reflexive, uh, self-protective barrier in his mind. Yeah. So he. He, he comes to our conventions occasionally, and mm-hmm. he's very valuable there. He makes he makes great comments, and he provides a kind of ocean. I mean, a rock in an ocean. Uh, uh, the uh, the is of common sense, and um, impartiality. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of all that, and so uh, uh, when I see writers like that, I think things are. Things are are, are going the way I think they should, and we we were speaking of Caitlin Kiernan mm. uh, just a bit ago, and she she is another great example I think. She began uh, as an unapologetic, wholly committed horror writer of a certain kind,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, kind of decadent um, uh, goth, mm. uh, and you know the the version of the gothic that was this that was refined and um, compressed into goth she she was a heroine to um, uh, fans of of goth and uh, uh, you know acquired a lot of followers just because she seemed to express it so so perfectly but her work has evolved in the most beautiful finished um, way so that her the her the, the book um s- Second to the the, the the most recent the the, the red tree the Red tree is, is, a, is a, a brilliant l- literary novel that uh, that incorporates or you know expresses uh, gothic themes and, and gothic techniques yet in a, in a controlled, steady um, eyes open way and uh, her new book. Uh,
2: the Drowning Girl yeah.
1: Drowning Girl is is a masterpiece.
2: It really is. It's her best
1: uh, It's it's her best piece and, and, and it has uh, astonishing writing and an uh, astonishing mood. It's it's the kind of work that comes from a writer wholly committed to what she is doing at the moment, who is indivisible from what she's doing at the moment yeah. and has no choice. But to write exactly the words that are coming out of her pen at that moment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so, I mean, that's a quality you can't miss. Um, it's, it's immediately impressive and, and you, you know that it's absolutely authentic. Um, so I, I, I lost my mind briefly after I finished reading <laughs> that and I, and I, and, and I roped in all kinds of people that I, that I didn't think would have read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to to ask them to give to give it blurbs, um, mm. uh, the the aforementioned uh, Dan Sean and, and Brian Evanson primarily. There were some other people, and I think Neil. Yeah. I did speak to I Neil, and, Neil and 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 I think he will give a blurb because he he and Caitlin are are are, sure. are friends independently. Good. But anyhow, that's a that's a great uh, uh, monument there to to the kind of thing I'm talking about. Now it will be published by Tor. And it will have a kind of a cover <clears throat> that Caitlin likes, but what will
0: be its fate in the world? I don't know. Well, I've got a copy in my hand, right? And okay. Finish a finished copy. A finished copy, the copy. yeah. The, the book is published, and I think, yeah, you know, you're talking huh. about the link with uh, with Neil. Uh, there'll be an audio book of it up in the next two or three weeks, I think. Uh, through the Neil Gaiman Presents thing. Oh, and, yeah, right. And I have to say, I mean, I mean, it looks marvelous. It's from Rock in a nice trade paperback. Yeah. I wonder if you were to just go through and all you did were excerpt a few words from the globes and descriptions that talk about, and use the words, say, Gothic and the fantastic. If you took yeah. those out and you wrapped a slightly different dust jacket around it, would it sit in the literary section of a bookstore and be acclaimed as being the masterwork, really, that it is? Uh, by the literati in general, or would there is there still something about it inherently that would make them back off from it? I suspect it's the sort of book that... I mean, I looked at it even when it came in, even with the cover, I and mean, you said Caitlin loves it, and I can see why. I think the book looks lovely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see this book being a, a mainstream novel, basically. Yeah, I but, think it is a mainstream novel. Yeah. I I mean I, I I don't
1: think there should be a difference. I don't mm. think people should express that uh you know that that split um because uh Kate, Caitlin's uh book is is you know really it in, in indicates the way uh the way the two camps are it illusory that there's just one, you know, there's one thing
2: if it's good. It does. I- and Jonathan, we, 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 we should just a background, Peter. Peter, Peter. Jonathan and I spent a good chunk of an earlier podcast talking about the best of Caitlin Kernan. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. from, from Subterranean. Yeah. So we are admirers of her, and I think yeah. that she has, if anything, gotten better since her, 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 right. her famous short stories. Yeah. And I think this is her best thing. But um, is she. Um, I, I, maybe, maybe this is a sub question of what Jonathan's asking. Has she become so uh, associated with genre fiction in the eyes of reviewers and publishers yeah. that they can't see this novel as anything other than that? Absolute. Even though, by traditional standards, you know, there, there's a bit of a ghost story in that. Uh-huh. There's, there's, there's certainly a, a lot about art and the importance of art in, in influencing people's perceptions of reality.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, but is it? Is it possible that simply nobody can read the story for what it is? Horror readers will read it to find a horror story. Mainstream readers probably won't read it.
1: Probably not. Uh, This is the real sadness of of the spot we're in. I mean, uh, Brian will do his best uh, to spread um, uh, the word about that book uh, amongst people who might ordinarily not even think of reading it. Mm. Um, uh, if it gets a if it gets good reviews in in you know
2: in the mainstream in in, in main in mm.
1: mainstream um uh, papers and magazines then it would have a chance but but because it 's a rock book and it has a cover which is a lot better than most rock books but still mm. um kind of sends a message about about the nature of the contents it it probably won't be yeah, uh, it's like there is this dreadful failure of imagination that affects our culture that says this is irredeemably of this inferior sort
0: hmm. I, 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 I honestly hope that's not the case because what also occurred to me was I don't know if it says universally true there but what I've observed happen, happening to book selling here in Australia at least is yeah. that with the failure of the large, large book chains you're getting a lot of really good, hip, independent kind of bookstores popping up and yeah, flourishing, good. doing really well.
2: Really?
0: Very much so, yeah. And wow. this strikes me as their kind of book. The kind yeah, of book that I that's... could see in piles and on tables at the front of their store uh, and attracting
2: that uh, kind of readership.
0: Um, well, that'd be perfect.
2: I know what you mean. It's the kind of thing that. Uh, independent bookstores have always had our staff recommends this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if they can do that, that would be terrific. Um, they even do that at some Barnes and Noble stores. that survive They do, yeah. Staff recommendations, but even then, you have to get it to the staff members. You have to get it to people who are willing to read a little bit outside their comfort zone. Uh, my
1: my my daughter, who's uh, having an amazing success as a young writer uh, with a short story book, uh, and will soon publish a, a novel called Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures. Uh, also works in a bookstore, a very good independent bookstore in Brooklyn mm-hmm. called Book Court. It's a it's a big space. Um, it, it it has a huge stock. There are a lot of people who work there, and they they do have these independent uh, choices uh, that bookseller recommendations. And I think it would be an immense step. For one of those people to pick Caitlin's book, yeah, it's not the way it's not the way they think. Um, I, I, for all they say, I, um, <laughs> I, I, uh-huh. I, I think they 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 draw a distinction between what is actually serious and what is um, tolerable. Are
0: we in the era of lip service to? Um Yeah, to to, to, to remove the barrier, but we're not actually doing it. I mean, there's an example that occurred to me that uh, falls over from last week's podcast. We were talking about Edgar Rice Burroughs, Peter, and about The Princess of Mars. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I'd mentioned that I'd heard that the Library of America were doing an edition of
1: Burroughs.
0: Ah, brilliant. And I thought, magic, this is great, and I actually... In fact, during the podcast, I actually jumped online and bought that they've, they've put out. They're putting out hardcovers of *The Princess of Mars* and *Tarzan*. thought I mean, oh, that's fantastic! And then somebody pointed out to me that whilst they are indeed publishing them, they're not actually official Library of America books. No, in fact, it officially says they're not no. series volumes. And, no. and I quote the, the, the Library of America here: Burroughs has not been admitted by our advisors to the inverted commas pantheon of L O A authors." <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, they, what they've said is they, well, it is because what they're, what they're basically saying, because they said you know um, they fall into a group of books that, sh- that we think should be um, republished as keepsake hardcovers as a recommitment to the value of print editions. In other words, these hmm. are books that aren't good enough to be part of the Library of America, but the Library of America would like to make money off them.
1: Well, yeah, I I, I think so. I also smell. And everything you just uh, said—a lot of (laughs) internal dissension and and a lot of argument between two camps at at the library. I've had I've had a lot of contact uh, with Library of of America and a good deal of experience, and I I learned much to my amazement that there is a kind of um, conservative force uh, one step behind the editors. That uh, we wields a, an immense amount of power. Yeah. Um, yeah. These are the people who disallowed certain writers and certain stories from uh, my uh, 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 anthology, American Fantastic Tales. Yeah. They 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 simply would not tolerate for for one reason for some reason a reason I never will understand. They would not allow a story by Elizabeth Hand. I suggested other stories, and they say no. They said no, we don't want her. Huh? I don't get it. That I mean, beats the hell out these of me.
2: These are not the editors that you and I have been working. No, with. no, these, these are, are the, the, shadowy the,
1: the, the shadowy advisors and, and board members behind them, and those people know what's good and what isn't. You know, <laughs> in, the, in, in the in the roughest, uh, most the
0: secret, brutal sense. The secret cabal, the twelve faceless yeah. men. Sure. On the other hand,
1: this same organization embraced HP Lovecraft <laughs> and, and and gave me every uh every kind of freedom, uh except the freedom to make jokes in the footnotes. <laughs> so they, did, they did not permit <laughs> I tried to sneak in the most subtle, the smallest of jokes, and J- Jeffrey O'Brien sniffed them out on uh <laughs> on the spot.
2: Yeah, they're smart people there. <laughs> That's
1: a pity. That is a genuine. Uh, pity. Yeah, I mean the they were barely jokes, but they were jokes. Uh, so that you know, I thought I thought that was brave and imaginative. Uh, it was a it was a wonderful step. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that H. P. Lovecraft is now so influential mm. and so actually ensconced mm-hmm. in our culture that uh, that they had to take that approach. But um, so he's still he's still a, a, a controversial. Figure though, and they 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 needn't have. I don't think, which is why I I, I thought then, I still think that they were imaginative and brave.
2: Yeah, well, well, it was part of the library. Of it American. was yeah. exactly Burroughs the St. Burroughs, is, Burroughs is, like, is not. We're not.
1: Yeah,
0: and, and I guess that's what interested me because I just assumed. Well, we're seeing the Library of America. I, I don't want to just say loosen up. I, I, we're seeing them embrace. The top end, the, the the most influential, the best of uh, yeah. modern popular fiction. And you know, you've seen it through what they've done in The Mysteries of the 40s. You can see it with Lovecraft. You've seen the. They've embraced Philip K. Dick, is this lunatic, crazy yeah. science fiction writer. Um, yeah. And, and one could say that they also uh, did the same with Jack
1: Kerouac. Mm. Yeah. Who, was, who has never been uh, celebrated in uh, academia yeah, no. and uh, is uh, very often. Uh, dismissed, and yet still is uh, a powerful force. Mm.
0: And and I can see it with Vonnegut and other things. And you sit there and you say, yeah. well, okay, we're now opening up. And then when they do something like this with Burroughs, which looks like, to, to, to me, superficially, looks similar to the uh, the uh, Lovecraft decision, uh-huh. but obviously yeah. just a step too far. You know, and yeah. so we have to like separate ourselves you know, from this roughly written first novel that came out and this sort of on apologetic adventure fiction from this pulp writer, it's like just a little too much. But not too much to make the money.
2: Well, my sense <laughs> is that part of, part of what's going on with the Library of America has been a shift, as as, as Peter mentioned, a shift from uh, the, the obvious canonical classics, Emerson, mm. Hawthorne, Melville, yeah. uh, James. And, and eventually, James, and eventually up to Raymond Chandler, and eventually from Raymond Chandler into noir novels. So they'll put a Charles Woolford novel in a so yeah, David Ice yeah. Heisman's novel in, in an anthology. And, and, and Lovecraft makes his way in. Philip K. Dick makes his way in. The various writers of the science, uh, science fiction writers of the 50s make their way in. Because this represents an expansion beyond what they consider to be a literary canon into what they see to be a kind of social and cultural canon.
1: Uh, yeah, um,
2: in the sense that they are they're recognizing that these books have been widely influential. They are certainly in terms of The Library of America's remit. There's certainly books that have done a great deal to format, to form, and influence the shape of American culture. Yeah, but does I don't know in terms of the book I did myself. Does all just buttresses who stand up to the Scarlet Letter? I don't think they're asking themselves those questions.
1: No, that's the wrong question. Probably.
2: (laughs) Well, yes, I think that.
0: But then on the other hand, I mean, well, under your aegis, Gary, we're sneaking Robert Heinlein
2: into the Library of America. Um, and I, uh, well, it's, it's just interesting to think, because I've had these conversations uh, with people from the Library of America, and with you, Johnson, and probably with you, Peter. Mm. Uh, Heinlein should have his own volume in the Library of America eventually. Bradbury probably will. And when you yeah. talk about living writers, uh, Steve King probably will. Probably. Yeah. Uh, and I'm guessing Ursula Le Guin probably will. Gene Wolfe, to get back to that, yes. isn't it? Not a chance. Not a chance, you no. Think? no. Wow.
0: And yet he would probably, if you said to me, name ten writers in our field who deserve to be in the Library of America, he would have been on my list. He, yeah, he'd be near, near the top of the list. So that's quite <laughs> right. You know, and is that just a this failure of imagination or a failure to explain? I mean, because plain, I would imagine I don't I don't know the twelve faceless men who make these decisions, but I imagine the Library of America readers within the LOA itself aren't familiar with the work at all. Yeah, so that's exactly right. the problem. Exactly. But I mean, isn't one of those things where you say, well, hey, you're asking for recommendations, look at this, or do you turn around Ooh. and say, well, David Hartwell has brought it all into print through tour and it all exists and that's how it is
2: Uh, well there is a small category of writers who no matter how good they got during their careers never were read outside their genre I mean I I, I think Gene is one of those somebody that Gene also admired which we've talked about before is uh, R.A. Lafferty Mm. uh, Avram Davidson um, who's a, a lot of people who are just terrific writers if you could get anybody outside their genre readership to look at them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who, is, who would be a good example in a horror? Um, who's just not read by anybody but horror writers? I can't, like, I can't think of any offhand either. But who? Who? Matheson Well, Matheson's okay. not been read by mainstream no uh, readers by and large. No, n-
1: not at all. Uh, Shirley Jackson has. Julie mm.
2: Jackson is in the library. Yeah,
1: she is in the Library of America, oh, that's right. No. And uh, that's well deserved. it's well-deserved. Yeah. Yeah. Fritz Leiber.
2: Yeah. Fritz Leiber is, uh, for all he's done in all sorts of fields, is
0: unknown outside of John O'Reilly. Yeah, But can you imagine him being in the Library of America?
2: Not for another 70 or 80 years. years. Well, if Philip K. in. I
1: don't see why Fritz Leiber isn't.
0: I, well, I, 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 but I, I sort of feel like if, if Burroughs can't get into the Library of America, Leiber can't get in. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's like they're joined, J- just as yeah. in, I mean. It's like it's just like I mean. Can you honestly picture? And I allow that there's an HPL volume, so anything is possible. But can you imagine a Robert Howard Library of America volume? Uh, no,
1: I, I was explicitly told that there, there that there <laughs> could not be one, and I didn't expect that there ever be would be one. I, it occurs to me now that what what, what we're talking about is um, uh, i I. I imagine, for the moment, uh, the inclusion of writers who were read by the editors when they were young, and for whom they had an um, indelible, enduring affection, mm. and so want to include in some way. Um, Jeffrey O'Brien is an omnivore, and he never discriminated between high and low. I think he. He,
2: he he just read as much as he could. He's the editor of the Library of America series.
1: And he's a brilliant, brilliant he's guy. Brave, brave he's brave. read everything, and he's he's a he's a terrific writer, and in some ways a great poet. Mm. He uh he's he of course read Burroughs when he was younger, and um, is doing his best now to honor that old um, affection. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, which is shared by lots of readers, but not by the. <laughs> the sort of readers who ordinary, ordinarily read books in the Library of America.
0: Yeah.
2: My sense is that the Library of America is, um, I, I think the, the books are gorgeous. I'm very pleased with the ones I've done. I'm very pleased with the ones Peter's yeah. done. Uh, I, I think they can, they can effectively make an argument to canonize a book by publishing it. Mm-hmm. But they can't prevent a book from being canonized by excluding it. I mean, if the Library of America had existed in 1915 to 1920, Melville would not have been in it. He was despised until he was rediscovered in the late 20s. Sherwood Anderson, I think, is going to show up in the Library of America, but for a good portion of his career, he would not have been included.
1: No. Um, In fact, the same is true of Henry James. Mm-hmm. Who was very ill thought of during the teens and yeah. the twenties? Uh, he was thought of as an old-fashioned, sentimental writer for uh, a female audience. Mm. And and um, after the forties, when uh, R.P. Blackburn and other you know extremely intelligent uh, uh, readers who 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 wrote essays for. Uh, wrote articulate probing essays for um, high-minded journals, uh, began publishing pieces about James, and all of a sudden James was un- understood to be a, a a great master. But there are books I've I've, I've read novels set in the twenties and and in uh, in 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 which James is really dismissed. As a kind of uh, an old lady, and a feat,
2: yeah, uh, yeah,
1: it's very strange. Uh, He 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 was he was brought back. So uh, uh, Herman Melville, as you
2: say, was certainly brought back. Well, I mean, one of the things, and I think Jonathan, you and I may have talked about this, maybe on on the podcast, maybe we're just getting it all wrong. Maybe 150 years from now, the history of science fiction will talk about Nelson Bond and EC Tubb <laughs> and all the people we've
0: talked about. And Hugh Cave and th- that You're, uh, look, you Look, you could be completely right. I mean, you know. Uh, every na- yeah, And yet, somehow I'm willing to just roll a dice and bet it won't be the case. I hope, well. Yeah, m- maybe it should be Lionel F- Fanthorpe being honored tomorrow night. I don't well, know that's if, true. I, maybe. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, they to listen to this podcast in a hundred years and go, they were idiots. They was, it was the, so
2: wrong. <laughs> who was, was the British mystery writer that wrote under the name John Creasy and several, about a hundred other names? The guy wrote 200 books. 200 books. I can't remember his real name offhand. No. Yeah. Uh, everybody in Britain knows who he was. That's immortality for you. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, the Creasy novels weren't that bad as yeah. sort of under the mill mysteries. Yeah. But the fact is, who knows? Harry Stephen Keeler in the United States. <laughs> now that's going too far. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, you know, uh, George Simenon. Um,
1: Simenon, yeah. He he made no pretensions of being a, a, a great and intellectual writer. He 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 just stuck to what he knew and he wrote. He wrote fast and he wrote very well. Yeah. And he is uh, pretty much universally accepted as a significant and worthwhile writer. Mm-hmm.
0: These mm-hmm. things can be, re- can be reassessed. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, they can. It's just they getting them reassessed is hard. Yeah. Anyway. I, th- anyway. I think we're beginning to wonder. And what I also think is I can hear the sound of a dinner reservation in, the, in the, your immediate future. And, and maybe it's,
2: to be, be, yeah it's not far to go so it's a it's a five minute walk from here but it's very good to talk to you jonathan it's wonderful so, it's
1: always good there. and this it's nice to talk to you at length
0: yes and i hope that uh, will you come be coming to toronto later this year i will oh well then i really look forward to that we shall have a high old time i'm sure yeah but on we'll that on that cheery note Thank you very much, Peter. It was great having you here today. Uh, uh, You're very welcome. Uh, Farewell for the moment.
2: All right, and I will talk to you again next week, possibly from the International Conference on the Fantastic in Florida. We shall see how it goes. I look forward to it. See how that goes. Okay.